Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good morning and welcome to Recruiting for Mamas. My name is Jennifer Powers Johnson. I am Jackson Light's mother. Uh, Jackson is a Division One athlete, and previously on this podcast, I would say he plays for Corner Canyon High School. However, Jackson signed on the Erling signing day, and he is officially at the University of Oregon, enrolled in school, and doing all the things that the teams are allowed to do right now. So, um, This particular episode is going to cover a couple of different things. I was hoping to get this recorded prior to the early signing day. However, I didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, Signing day can be kind of overwhelming and all-encompassing. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to go over signing day. Uh, We'll cover how signing day works Um, The fact that there are, in fact, two signing days, we are going to cover what to expect after uh, signing day as well as what happens on signing day. Uh, We are going to talk about what happens next. We are going to talk about arriving on campus and what that looks like. And then we're going to kind of finish up Uh, this particular podcast with some advice for um, members of the 2022 class. Um, And we're going to talk a little bit about how the 2022 class is probably one of the most daunting uh, classes in a long time and what their specific um, challenges are going to be and how you're going to see this kind of trickle slowly into the, the years after that. Um, And we're also going to talk quickly about coaching changes as well as the transfer portal. And then we'll probably finish up there. So that's what we're going to cover in this particular episode. And um, I think moving forward, depending on how much gumption I end up getting, uh, we may end up doing interviews with different parents that are going through this process right now as well so that they can add their two cents, um, give you uh, kind of some examples of what they're going through. And, you know, because the more people who can tell each other how the path was, the easier in theory the path will be for those moving forward. Okay. So with that huge introduction about what we're going to cover today, let's talk about signing day. So for Jackson, um, for probably around 80% of all Division I athletes um, that are in the FBS versus the FCS, uh, signing day happens in the December timeframe. And for Jackson, he signed in the early signing period in December. Um, every year, this is only like the second, possibly third, see, this is how much I know about this, I, I second or third year that they've even had the early signing period. And so um, the first two years 
um, you saw a certain percentage of kids that signed in the early signing period and subsequent years have all been increasing and going up. So it's always my advice because there's so many things that can change between early signing day and uh, regular signing day that if you're feeling very sure, absolutely sign on the early signing day because that's essentially a contract. There is now, you're signing your letter of intent, there is now a legal contract um, with promises from the university about what they're going to do from you, and, um, and then there's promises as well from you that what you're going to do for the university and so it's like a legal contract it's binding and so if anything happened at the university they would be legally bound to fulfill their portion of the contract for at least a period of time so my advice is it's much better to sign on the early signing period than it is the second signing period because a million different things could happen between the first and the second um especially this year with COVID, what we've seen overwhelmingly is kids who had early committed, some of them didn't even have the opportunity to sign in the early signing period because essentially the university traded up or decided that they were going to take somebody from the transfer portal or that kind of thing. So yeah, I feel like I've been harping on this for five minutes now. Uh, sign in the early signing period if you know where you're going. The second signing period tends to be cleanup. Okay, who committed in the first signing period? What positions do we still need? Who are the best players still on the board? And how, how can we go out and get the best players still on the board for the positions that we need? That's what you're singing in the second signing period. So just kind of be aware. And then look at your particular athlete and say to yourselves, like, is my athlete kind of a first signing period kid or a second signing period kid? And after the first signing period, now that we know who's been taken, what spots are still left open and how can we really manage our relationships and manage our uh, board and where the places we'd like to go and find out how many of the offers that you may have gotten prior are still committable. And at this point, sometimes um, we're seeing more offers come in. Um, the first signing period this year ended on December 18th. Uh, the next one is happening on February 3rd, which is tomorrow. And between the between December and February, a ton of offers for the 2021 class went out. And those offers were 100% based on who had committed in the early signing period and what holes needed to be filled for the regular signing period. So that's the kind of offers you're seeing going out. Some universities, though they wrap up everything in their and their first signing period and the only offers that are going out at this point are for 2022s and 2023s so forward thinking universities um, are sending out offers right now for the 2022s and the 2023s um, the kind of the uh, side bar to this particular conversation is in the mid to December to frankly the first of January, first week of January, the coaching carousel wheel of prizes went and people got fired and other people got hired and people decided to take other opportunities. And so literally you've seen an entire landscape completely and totally change over the last 
month, I would say, month and a half between coaches that were at one place and have suddenly moved to other places. When a coaching change happens, there are a bunch of coaches that went from Utah State to Boise State, from Oregon to Boise State, from BYU to Baylor. Um, when those kind of changes happen, a couple of different things could happen as well. If you had an offer from a coach at his original university and he is not at that university anymore, then he could offer you um, a, a scholarship at the new university. However, they're also dealing with going on site to that new university, looking at their team and going, who's already previously committed, who's already signed. I mean, a lot of these coaching changes happened post the first signing day. So, I mean, the first couple of days of any coach getting on site is essentially them looking at their roster, looking at the kids who said they were going to commit. Are they still going to commit? Do we need to re-offer now that we're here? Any of the kids that we still really want the previous coaching staff offered? A lot of that's going on. And so that's why you'll see some offers coming out in the time period. Or you'll see online, you'll see kids saying, I've been re-offered by... XYZ University. That essentially means there's a whole new coaching staffing staff there and they still want me. So that's what's going on with the offers. Okay, signing day, first signing day. So what you can expect on signing day is prior to signing day happening, you should, number one, uh, if you're not having nearly daily conversations or daily texts or daily some sort of reach out from the coaches that you're planning to sign with, this is a huge red flag. You may not be signing with the people you think you're signing with if you aren't hearing from them daily during this time period. Uh, the second thing is, at least at the University of Oregon, uh, the head of recruiting over there actually scheduled a time for me, James, and Jackson to have a call because what was really important to him was that he did not want to have any snafus when signing day happened. So there's actual legal paperwork that has to come and you have to physically sign that paperwork. Now Jackson at the time was only 17 years old so it was imperative that a parent or guardian send, sign that paperwork as well. So we actually had a setup call with Thomas Arends and it's probably Aaron's, but I just always want to make it sound more. It was just Thomas to me. Um, he's actually since left the University of Oregon and is doing real estate in uh, Oregon with his dad. He was by far the most awesome person we worked with during this time period. And he's just been doing it for many, many years and probably needed a, a shift. Um, love Thomas. Anyway, he set up a call with us. And on that call, he went through the various specific paperwork that uh, we would be receiving and what to expect on that paperwork and what time we needed to sign and then what needed to happen once we signed in order to make sure that everyone was on the same page. So the paperwork you get in your official letter of intent intent is the only paperwork that a university will ever overnight to you. Um, it's actually part of the NC2A rules 
that you can overnight this specific packet of paperwork so they just want to make sure they're sending it to the right address a lot of times maybe kids have moved in between the time they originally registered with the university or regi registered with the nc2a they want to make sure that someone's going to be there to get that a specific envelope they want to make sure that you know ahead of time this is where the athlete is signing this is where mom and dad are signing these are the things that need to be signed and dated and Thomas was really great because when we got our letter of intent there were actually two copies in there each of the copies had like those little legal things where they say sign here with the little arrows on the tabs. So we knew exactly where we needed to sign on every single piece. And then the way signing day works is at 7 a.m. local time, that is the earliest on signing day you can sign. So for the initial period, uh, signing day was, I believe, on, I don't have a calendar right in front of me right now, but I believe it was on December 16th. And we could sign on December 16th at 7 a.m. local time. And then at 7 a.m. point zero zero three or 7, you know, 7.01, uh, the, what you need to do is take a picture of your signature sheets and send those immediately to uh, your recruiting coordinator. Uh, we actually sent that to the recruiting area coordinator. We sent that to Mario Cristobal. We sent that to uh, our position coach, Coach Mirabal. And uh, those all things came and were delivered to them at literally like 7, not even 7.01. Jackson was really excited to do that. Once those signatures have been um, received, you're immediately under contract. You've signed your little, uh, letter of intent. Everyone takes a big sigh of relief, both on the student-athlete side as well on the university side. And you're done. You're handled. It's over. Um, that signing period actually starts at 7 a.m. on the first day and goes for essentially 72 hours. I think it ends at 5 p.m. on the third day. Um, after that time period, even if they sent you paperwork, that paperwork expires during that time. And so if you suddenly, two days before, you had a coaching change and you decided, wait a minute, I don't know that I want to commit right now or uh, you had someone come in strong at the last moment and they really have told you that they really want you and you're starting to waver on your other commitment and maybe we need to take a moment and breathe a little bit and make sure we really are committed. You essentially have that time period from the first day at 7 a.m. until the final day at whatever cutoff the time is, 5 or 6 p.m., in which to sign that paperwork. If they don't receive a copy of that paperwork during that time frame, that window is closed. You can't sign on the early signing period for that anymore. So um, it's really important to weigh that option. And once that is closed, they know that either A, you're not fully committed, or B, like they have some more work to do, or C, you might be considering another option. Um, so it's important to know that that's like the window of opportunity for signing day. So tomorrow, when it starts, it'll start at 7 a.m. Um, on uh, February 3rd. This is the second signing period and there will probably be a time frame in which you can sign for that one as well. And again, this is all cleanup. And so um, this 
the second signing period, depending on when you're planning to go into the university, can be um, a lot less stressful because the first signing period, we signed Jackson and I, because I was a parent. If your child is under 18, a parent will have to sign because that kid cannot make uh, legal promises if they're under 18. So with Jackson's case, because he was 17, I signed and Jackson signed. Um, but, and then it was like literally off to the races because he needed to start school with the University of Oregon on January 4th. And between that time, there was Christmas and uh, a quiet period. So um, at least with the first signing day, there were a lot of things that need to happen really quick. The second signing day um, may be slightly different than the first signing day. Normally on the first signing day or the second signing day, there will be a big media event around that. So in the case of the University of Oregon, there's a bunch of media writers that specifically focus on uh, Oregon uh, there's radio shows, there's television shows. However, at that time, because the Pac-12 had gotten a, uh, a, a late start in their season, what would normally be uh, a time in which they're prepping for a bowl game, they still had a game uh, that, that Friday. So the media event this year is actually being held on February 3rd. And depending on the university that you're looking at, different schedules, different conferences have different things that happen. And a lot of times there's boosters involved in that. So they're essentially introducing, uh, an alumni, they're introducing the signing class to the boosters this year. That'll all happen virtually. Um, they talk a lot about the athletes and what they see their role is and who, why they pick them and, and that kind of thing. And really give, the coaches are allowed to, after signing day, talk about any of the players that they want to talk about in that class. Prior to that, the coaches are never going to talk about that player publicly. And so you'll see them being able to talk about the player publicly once there is a contract in place and the LOI is signed. So that's kind of what to expect on signing day. Um, essentially, we covered that there's a time period in which you need to sign your paperwork. Uh, we covered that what time is the earliest you can send that paperwork in and when's the latest. I'm going to be really honest with you. Um, at least for Jackson, we had an event at the school at like 10 o'clock. Um, Jackson Dart uh, was essentially the number one quarterback in the nation and they really wanted to know where he was committing and up until that time he had narrowed it down to a few local schools as or one local school as well as some Pac-12 schools and no one knew what that was going to be and so he actually had his event on ESPN. I would be very surprised if his actual letter of intent didn't get signed at 7 a.m. like everybody else's and sent in at 7.01. We sent in ours at 7.01 and then we went to the event at the school in which not only football was signing, but uh, volleyball was signing, soccer was signing, um, uh, kids from various different sports were there. We had a ton of kids that won Division One this year or went on to play at the next level. And um, for us, we already had our paperwork in. So it was kind of like, I guess maybe when the president signs things in the Oval Office or 
I mean, maybe those are really happening, but it was more of a show signing than an actual signing. And I don't know how many people do the actual signing right there and how many don't. Um, but at least for kids that are signing their letter of intent, 701 is when most schools like to have them in because at that point they need to be able to release all the things they're going to release about that, right? So in our case, there were edits that went out. Um, there was a class theme, which 21 takes flight was the class theme. Um, University of Oregon is incredibly sponsored by Phil Knight and Nike. So all sorts of branding around Nike, all sorts of branding around the University of Oregon and Nike and these kids went out and they wanted to be able to release that through the out the day of who was signing yet. And there's a huge uh, group of Oregon fans that really follow recruiting. They follow the kids, they follow the parents, they're really involved. They, uh, they, are the greatest fans in the world. They're really awesome. And so they were, you know, up early and looking to see who was signing and were we missing anyone and did anyone who committed not sign. And the University of Oregon got really lucky this year. Well, I'm not, it's not luck, honestly. When you have really good relationships with the player and you have really good relationships with their parents and you do everything down to the minute detail, then yeah, you shouldn't have any surprises on signing day and Oregon didn't have any surprises on signing day. Everyone that committed signed their letter of intent and we're off to the races. Uh, tomorrow's signing day, we probably should pick up two to three more players at the University of Oregon and uh, different universities around the West have their different strategies. What's important for you and your athlete is you know what you, the university that you're working with or that you have your eye on or the offers that you have your eye on, what their strategy is. Because, um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but the transfer portal has really thrown everyone into a tailspin as far as who they think they're going to go after and who they're not going to go after. And then not only the transfer portal, but COVID-19 has allowed people to expand their rosters for a short period of time. And we'll cover that later. And that's really going to affect the 2022s, 23s, and possibly even the 24s, depending on what happens with that next. So once you've gone ahead and signed your letter of intent, it's really important that you just kind of be aware of what's going to happen next. Uh, number one, you need to get accepted to the university that you've signed an LOI with. We were super proactive about that. So even though the uh, application process didn't start to a certain point, Jackson actually applied in July for an acceptance in late November, early December, because he just wanted to make sure all of his I's were were dotted and his T's crossed on that and didn't want any surprises late, later. Um, after you sign your LOI and you're accepted into the university, you're going to have an academic advisor that's generally assigned to you. That person is going to walk you through what you would like to major in and then make sure that you as a football player or as any player, uh, a sports team player, uh, have priority when it comes to registration so that if uh Football specifically is played during a certain period of time, right? So at University of Oregon, they do all their football stuff first thing in the morning. They're in there at the facility anywhere from 5.30 to 6 o'clock in the morning, and they're going till about noon. And 
noon, one o'clock, two o'clock, depending on what's going on. So they prefer that a majority of their football players have their classes in the afternoons. And so because that's the way they run their schedule, the academic advisor uh, walks them through what they need to do in order to graduate, gets helps them get registered for classes and make sure they have priority registration so that they can get into the classes in the time frame that they need. Um, you're also going to get a ton of paperwork. Uh, uh, the amount of paperwork involved in getting your kid registered uh, and ready to go with the football team. Oregon has a ton. Um, they have a medical history that's like, I don't know, 13 pages long, really extensive medical um, history. Nutrition, they're going to give you information about nutrition and start working with somebody who, because uh, let's be honest, every football player and the position they're in and their body style has this ideal weight they would like them to be. So you're going to start getting information about uh, the nutrition department that your school offers. You're going to get FAFSA information. Um, the university, D- Division I uni- uh, FBS schools, if they give you a football scholarship, you 100%, that's 100% full ride, right? Um, however, depending on your... Um, income, uh, you may actually qualify for some additional federal funds from uh, if you fill out the FAFSA, so Pell Grants, uh, possible scholarships with grades, and you know what college kid doesn't need a little extra money to make sure that they can make it from month to month, so make sure you fill out that information as well. You will get information on your stipend. So the University of Oregon actually pays the athletes uh, $1,550 per month. And out of that stipend, they have to pay their own rent. And they have to pay for a, uh, a small electric bill. And they have to pay any additional food that they want on top of the meals that are provided by the football team. So... um you will find that some kids automatically register to go live in what's called the Franklin, which um, is a certain dollar figure every month, and it's really nice. It's not like dorms when I was growing up. Uh, the Franklin has everybody gets their own bathroom, their own bedroom, their own bathroom. They have washers and dryers in the unit. They have granite countertops and pennant lighting and... Uh, furniture in the living room and decks and views of the pool or views of the uh views of the river that runs behind the the apartment complex however um a lot of kids will stay there maybe their freshman year or their sophomore year and then they'll go wait a minute like I can put more money in my pocket um if I move to share a house with these couple of guys on the team or if I go get my own apartment in a less and that's not nearly as nice but I'm not spending that much time there so I can put a couple of hundred dollars in my pocket every month um some kids come from environments in which their families really need that extra money and so you will see kids that are sending a couple hundred bucks home every month to make sure they're helping out with their family and the bills that their family have and honestly I can totally appreciate that because uh, being the mom and dad of a student athlete is all about sacrifice. How many hours did you spend driving them to and from? How many hours did you work 
your job to make sure they got extra training and extra speed and agility and extra whatever it is. So I think that's awesome when kids uh, put some money away and, and send it home. Or if all they do is take some money and kind of put it in the savings. Um, you can expect also to sign some leases. So um, even if you're just moving into the dorm, you got to make sure that you are financially responsible for any sort of damage. Once again, with Jackson's case, uh, we uh, he was only 17 when we moved him up there. He just barely turned 18 like a week and a half ago. So my name's on all the leases up there to make sure that there was a legal adult ready to take on any financial responsibility with the financial commitments that he was making. And then you're going to start seeing them uh, at the University of Oregon. Everybody gets a brand new Apple computer to use while they're there. So they'll check out computers and their books were just delivered to them so they didn't have to buy their books. And um, they also have different ways. The pandemic has really changed the way they deliver food services, at least in Oregon. I'm not sure how it is in other states, but there used to be a training table. So all football facilities have some sort of a training table that is um, part of the program. And it's a way of making sure that they can feed their athletes and, uh, and frankly, manage their nutrition of their athletes. With COVID, a lot of those facilities needed to be set, shut down depending on the local health authority. And so they've really done an ingenious thing at Oregon this year. They actually partnered with an app that um, is accepted at a majority of the restaurants in town. And so they actually credit um, the student athletes a certain amount of money per day, and then they can use that at XYZ restaurant in order to pick up food so that they're not having to prepare the food and everything at the training table and serve them. It takes that whole extra step out of there and makes the football team not responsible for the COVID protocols around um, food preparation. Whereas restaurants, that's the only thing they do and they're experts at it. So they, uh, they are supporting local business as well as um, taking some risk out of the football team with that particular app. So you may see that happen in a lot of different places. Um, in Utah right now, to be perfectly candid with you, when we dropped off Jackson in Oregon, Oregon's closed. Like the restaurants are closed. You can't dine in. You can only have outdoor dining. And this was just in January. Utah is really, really open right now comparatively. And each state has their different guidelines and their case counts and this, that, and the other thing. And so you're going to see a bunch of difference between different schools. But just be aware that all of those kind of things, you'll start to receive paperwork on those things. You'll uh, get a ton of emails saying, you need to sign up for this. You need to sign up for that. When you're arriving on campus, you need to be aware that uh, generally they've put roommates together based on uh, who needs each other. Every athlete brings a different strength to the table. So a lot of times you'll see your athlete being paired with specific types of athletes. And so everyone's kind of bringing their strengths to the table and doing what they can uh, to pop each other up and build each other up and, uh, you know, Jackson's specific strength is really early. He goes really early. So those poor kids that are getting a ride with him to the facility are showing up way early every day. And I just hope they're getting enough sleep. Um, 
Anyway, okay, we're already 30, 31 minutes in, so I'm just going to uh, finish off this particular episode with uh, some advice for the 2022s. Uh, 2020, okay, so what's happening right now is the NC2A has allowed an expanded roster. So there's normally X amount of positions on the team and X amount of scholarships. For the 2021 class, they knew that they had granted Um, the ability to come back and play for another season to every single athlete who was in this year. You got this extra year of eligibility. You actually will see kids coming back. They've redshirted or gray-shirted. I mean, they're in their seventh year or eighth year of playing football. I mean, Britton Covey's been at Utah for how long? I don't know, forever. And um, so with all of that happening right now, what that did is put a squeeze on the available scholarships for 2022, 2023, and 2024. And the reason that is, is because number one, you have this extra year of eligibility. Number two, you have this um, expanded roster. But starting next year, you have to get your roster numbers back to the regular uh, members of the team. Or So what, the, what any team is going to do in 2022 is really have an honest uh, look at their roster and say, okay, these are my seniors that are graduating. And they may have been seniors that were graduating in 2021, but now they're not graduating until the 2022 class. So this is how many spots I have here. And this is how many kids I think are going to go to the NFL. So there'll be a certain, uh, there'll be a certain amount of folks that uh, they believe, depending on how their year goes, are going to the NFL, right? These are the kids that I think I'm going to help out to the transfer portal, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So what is my roster like right now? Well, that's going to squeeze the number of 22s that they have available because all these other kids came back. So uh, 2022s. Offers coming to you are more serious than they've ever been before, ever in the history. Because the truth of the matter is any offer going out to a 2022 means you're good enough to be on their roster, even with this situation, even with the need to pare it down from an expanded roster to a regular roster. Um, roster. So when you get those offers, don't be playing them against each other to try and get bigger and better offers. The people who love you now see you now, right? See you even in this current situation. The You need to really develop the relationships with the people they're giving 2020, 2022 offers, the 22 class, right now. Because the bigger offers may not come. The bigger offers are trying to take some really good players and either move them to the NFL, graduate them, or move them to another team in order to get down to their regular level next year. So any offer that comes out in the 2022, you need to think it's a real offer and manage those relationships as if they are real offers. Because it's not going to be like in previous years where unless you're a top 300 kid, Top 300 in the nation for your class. That's the only one that are going to have offers popping out of their ears. And, oh, this one's okay. And that, no, 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 no. Unless you're a top 300. And you need to be a top 300 according to all three media outlets. 24-7, 
Rivals, and ESPN. Um, so don't take anything. I guess my bottom line is for 2022s, don't take anything for granted. Everything that walks in door in the door this year for 2022s is a gift. So treat it like it's important to you. Okay. Um, that covers my advice for 2022s. And then I want to take just a couple of minutes and talk about the transfer portal. The transfer portal back in the day used to be something that you would see kids use in the most extreme circumstances. They had already been at the university one or two years. They had done everything they possibly can to get time on the playing field. They had competed. They had uh, done everything they could. And they just believed that no matter what they did, the coach wasn't going to give them a fair shake. And so they would go into the transfer portal and hope that someone else would pick them up. And then they would go to that university and without a huge long process they would have to sit out an entire year. So there was like a penalty for going in the transfer portal, right? They'd have to sit out an entire year unless everyone agreed that it was okay, including the NC2A. And then they would be able to get on the team and hopefully play. You would literally lose a year in the prime of your career. The transfer portal is not like that right now. Everyone gets at least at this point one transfer free. It's like one get out of jail free card. And so it's not just that athletes are using the transfer portal because they feel like they're not getting a fair shake and I'm going to go play somewhere else where they'll appreciate me. Coaches are using the transfer portal. Maybe they had a guy that they thought was had XYZ potential and that potential never came through. Maybe in the subsequent recruiting class, they picked up somebody that was X potentially, X, I can't say the word right now, better than the previous player. So coaches now are using the transfer portal as a way of placing kids that they feel are D1 caliber but aren't good enough to play on their team or aren't a cultural fit for their team. So I know that if you're kind of old school, you look at the transfer portal and you you make up a, a thing about these kids, right? These kids in the transfer portal don't like to compete. These kids don't like to overcome obstacles. That may not even be true. The coaches could be using the portal to give that kid another opportunity somewhere else. So there are a ton of kids in the transfer portal. And and a lot of them didn't decide they wanted to be there. A lot of them, the coaches decided they wanted them to be there by having very candid conversations with them saying, hey, listen, you're never going to get a chance to play here. We think you're talented. We think you could play somewhere else. Go to the transfer portal. That's a totally different uh, intention than people looked at the transfer portal before. Number two, and once again, back to the 2022-2023 class. The transfer portal used to be where you'd go pick up kids that couldn't hack it other places or maybe had a bad attitude. Not anymore. Not anymore. Now you can go out and you can recruit the 2022 or the 2023 class, right? And take a kid out of high school. Or you can go to the handy dandy portal. And what's in the handy dandy portal? QBs with game experience. Running backs with game experience. Wide receivers 
with D1 experience. I mean, there are kids from LSU and Alabama in the transfer portal. These are elite athletes, but there were five other elite athletes ahead of them. So if I'm the University of Utah, what are you seeing? You're not seeing a bunch of signings on the University of Utah from local kids, right? No, what you're seeing is Utah goes, okay, we could we could compete and we could go out and go after high school kids or we could go to the transfer portal and pick up kids with game time experience who we've seen play on the college level before and maybe this is our chance to pick them up and maybe they would have been an okay star at that school but here at Utah or here at BYU or BYU doesn't take a lot of transfer portal kids. Um or what XYZ school, they would be our rockin' star. And as a kid, if my coach tells me go to the transfer portal, I'm going to go to the transfer portal, and then I'm going to take the best offer that comes in for somebody who's actually going to play me. The transfer portal is a new way of recruiting. So that squeezes the 2022s and the 2023s at a much higher level, which takes me back to my previous point, which is... Every offer that walks in the door is a gift and a blessing. Do not be too snobby to take it. I've seen locally in Utah, and I'm just going to say it like it is right now, parents who have decided that it's okay if their kid go to the University of Utah or BYU, and that's it, right? They're not getting offered at the University of Utah or BYU, then they're, they're not going to do it. That is ridiculous. Go to the place that wants you to play. Go to the place that will pay for your education. That is my advice to you. 2022s, 2023s, accept the offers, cultivate the relationships that are coming in the door now. You may find yourself in the transfer portal later. We don't know. The stigma of the transfer portal isn't what it used to be. Coaches are using it both to get rid of athletes they need to get rid of and place them and to pick up athletes that have Division I experience. So just be aware of how the transfer portal is specifically working against your high school player. Okay, I think that's it for the day. So we covered signing day, we covered the paperwork, we covered what you think you can expect on that day. We talked about what's next, things you need to be aware of and working on to in order to in fact go to the college part of college football. We talked about arriving on campus and roommates, coaching changes, advice for 2022 and the transfer portal. As always, if you have any questions about any of this, feel free to reach out me to me on Twitter. I'd be more than happy to discuss it with you. And until the next time we have something to talk about, that was Recruiting for Mamas. Thanks.